Happy Wednesday, everybody. This is Emily Strong with Meathead Hippie Podcast. I am so pumped because shit went down this week. Uh, first off, Platform Strength is officially opening September 22nd. So this is my gym. It's a 24-7 strength and conditioning hybrid gym. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the classes. I've had a lot of questions on the in-person and online programming. And I have a video that is linked on the website that you can watch that explains this all in more detail. But really quickly, this is just a really great hub of trying to bridge the gap between functional fitness, the hours that you want to do it, and a community. And you guys know most of my background, and I'm just so excited because I felt like for a long time, for a few years, I didn't really have a place to go that I really, really loved that had everything I wanted. So we created it. And the grand opening, all of the classes are sold out, which is incredible. I can't wait to see you guys. September 22nd is... um, for, we will have classes, but don't worry. Like you can come in, drop in, say hi. I'm going to have a tarot card reader. I'm going to have tea. I'm going to have gluten-free beer. If you just come and sit and hug me and hug everybody that's there, it'll just be incredible. So don't worry if you can't make the class or if you missed out on the reservation. We will be there all day starting at 8 a.m. I'll have more details about the tarot card reading sign up. She's actually going to be a podcast guest um, before the tarot card reading so that you guys can get a vibe and you can you can uh, reserve a 15-minute slot with her. It's Laura Mahoney. So I'm just super jazzed about that because we clearly have the meathead part figured out (laughs) with the gym opening, but now we get some hippie. And if you want to check out the online programming, it starts September 1st. It's $39 a month, and it is the programming we're following in the gym. And the gym classes and the online programming are structured where you get to pick your path. So I think everyone should be strong. Being strong is a necessity of being human. So you will always do a lift with the class or on your own, and then you get to pick your accessory work. So you're either going to do more cardio, which is my burn. You're going to do more hypertrophy, which is my bodybuilding, which is called the build. Or you're going to do more Olympic lifting and um, fast twitch muscle training, which is with the athlete. So uh, working really hard with my partner, um, actually my coworker, Wade, who's just a boss at programming. We just are so jazzed about it. So check everything out, platformstrength.com. Come to the grand opening if you can. And if you can't, don't worry. Uh, We will see you. Come drop in anytime. We'll we'll be there (laughs) 24-7. Well, not really 24-7, but you, you guys get it. And for all my listeners, if you guys have not seen my backpack, this is my backpack turned weight training bag, the MPAC. I have black on black on Amazon still. There's a few left. I have purple and orange um, on evolvedmotion.com. Read the reviews. This thing, I'm not kidding you. This thing has changed my life. It has changed the way I think about movement and getting strong. If you are traveling a lot, if you don't have access to a barbell, or you just want to work out outside barefoot in the grass, but you want to do something more than burpees, um, this is the bag for you. It is just doing so well. I'm so proud of it. We have some great things happening in the, um, this fall. Some sneak peeks have happened on the Evolve Motion Instagram, if you have seen. So please stay tuned for an amazing launch that's coming. The Kickstarter, uh, the Kickstarter pledges shipped out today. So I'm so excited. The Nomads, you can get the smaller one. The MPAC, which is the original one, it goes anywhere from 15 to 60 pounds. And that's just with water. If you filled it up with sand, which is so nice because it's like a sandbag, but you can seal it and it doesn't get messy. And it's really easy to go in and out for backpack or training bag. The way it works, the straps come off. 
And all of a sudden, you have a fully functioning weight training bag. Use it like a pair of dumbbells. Use it like a kettlebell. Use it like a barbell. Get strong wherever you go. This can be found on EvolveMotion.com. And for you guys, um, a little bit of a longer range, we're going to do a discount code 15% Meathead Hippie. That's your code. Go check it out. I can't wait for you to get your hands on it. If you want to see more information, just go read the reviews or go look at the hashtag, hashtag MPAC, E-M-P-A-C-K, and you will know what it is all about. Um, I'm in love with it. All right. I think that's it. Uh, enjoy this podcast. Actually, it's not it because I didn't even talk about the podcast. <laughs> this is my podcast with Alex Swanson. This is from my part two adrenal repair course. Alex Swanson is so intelligent, so smart. We have interviewed him before and I had to have him back for part two because we wanted to talk about how genes play into our sleep and to our stress. And so this is the creator of Nutrition Genome. So 23andMe, most of you have probably heard of um, especially since they went public, it's a genetic testing. So you can spit and you can basically say like, where am I from? And it's cool, but they changed their testing. So it's not cool because some of the cool things that you find from nutrition or from 23andMe no longer are able to be tested for. So Nutrition Genome created his own. It is a swab. It is a gene test. You ship it in, you get the results, and you learn so much about your body. You learn about how you deal with inflammation. You learn about how you deal with stress. You learn about how you deal with coffee. It is so cool. So I wanted to have him back on and share with you our, our section of part two, Adrenal Repair. This is the Body Awareness Project segment that you can find on www.thebodyawarenessproject.com. I am in love with this course. The Adrenal Repair is incredible. You're going to love it. Let me know what you think. Have an amazing Wednesday. <laughs> I'm Emily Schramm, the ultimate meathead hippie. Welcome to the show. Swanson, it's been a while because we did a awesome Meathead Hippie podcast that I told you before I hit record is my most referenced podcast. I loved talking to you about all things genes and nutrition genome. And so it's so awesome to have you back for part two of the Body Awareness Project. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me back. Yeah, I think the best thing to describe, you know, people are starting to know about gene testing, hearing the word epigenetics. Um, I would love to get us some background on you. If they haven't listened to the podcast, if you're new to them, really how you got into this field and how your company operates and how awesome it is. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so I was a clinical nutritionist for about 12 years. I had a practice. And about five years ago, I started looking at genes. I started looking at um, these different you know, data files that have all of these genes on it. And I started connecting dots that I couldn't before. So when I would look at these genetic pathways and how people are different, you start to understand, okay, well, this is why this diet works for this person, but not for another person, or why this person responds to stress this way, and, th and this other one responds to stress another way. So <clears throat> that became this kind of huge database of research that I was doing. So each patient or client that I saw, I would take notes, I would put it in the database, and I kind of, for years, I was doing that. And finally, my my wife actually came to me and, and, you know, she had this really horrible reaction to um, a, 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 a combination. 
And she never understood why she reacted so poorly. They never really gave her a reason for it. And oh, if sorry, she was worried. Though, I'm going to interrupt you really fast. Sure. For some reason, that word didn't come through. What did she have a oh. poor reaction to? Oh, pharmaceutical drugs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Got Combination. It. And, and it's a horrible medication reaction. And so the doctors never really gave her a reason as to why it happened. And it was really scary. It was actually life-threatening. And so we looked at her genetics and I was able to kind of pinpoint exactly what happened wow. uh, based on her reaction to those drugs. Cause we all metabolize drugs differently, just like we have different metabolism for different foods. Mm. And that was really this kind of eye-opening moment because it really changed her life because now that she understood it, she was empowered and knew that it, you know, how to avoid it in the future. That's a, such a perfect way of explaining it because it is empowerment. It is this like, I'm not broken. I'm not at the mercy of XYZ. It's that I can, and that's how I felt when I got my nutrition genome report. It was just so cool to be like, this is who I am. <laughs> this makes right. sense. Like it just is a really, anything tangible like that, any data can be really, really wonderful, especially for people that are in this course that are like constantly looking for answers to questions that just typical things aren't doing the job for. Um, and this is what I really want to dig into is like, can stress be played into with your genes? Can genes play into the way we handle stress? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's just mind blowing. I would love if we could start there. Sure. So I think a kind of a, a higher level to think about stress is to think about our neurotransmitters. So that's, for example, serotonin, dopamine, glutamate, GABA. All of these things that kind of make us feel one way or another based on the levels, and they're always in flux. And so for certain people, you know, they may be more reactive um, to certain situations. So it's our perception. So in some, some people, dopamine and adrenaline may spike high and take a long time to break down. And so we're a little more revved up. Or other people may have their mind kind of spin and keep it up at night. And it's like yeah. their mind won't shut off, you know, when they get stressed. Yeah. Um, other people may go straight to their gut. And they just have horrible digestive issues when they get stressed. They can't handle it. Mm -hmm. Those are those little individualities that we all have based on our genes. And when you start to understand, okay, when I get stressed, this happens, and you know why, and you know what to do, all of a sudden, you're taking control of your stress. You know, okay, I need to go run because I have too much glutamate going on in my brain. I need to clear it out, right? Yeah. Or my serotonin is really low. I need to get out in the sun. Right. And how can somebody help, you know, just briefly if they're listening, like how, how would somebody know, you know, I kind of, I've seen some neurotransmitter questionnaires, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. it, like if somebody was saying like, where do I go from here? What transmitters off? Where would, where would they even start? So the way I look at it is you can kind of see the characterization of the neurotransmitters. So if somebody's really irritable or they get angry, that's the dopamine adrenaline pathway response to stress, right? If, if you see someone who's kind of a little more like they kind of get really high or they get really low, that can be glutamate a lot more than anything. Um, high glutamate, low glutamate, right? Going which back is, and forth. Which makes sense for people with traumatic brain injury and concussion. Exactly. Oh, that makes, I mean, that, cause that's me. That's my personality. It's like, ah, yeah, <laughs> it's right. constant. so yeah. I guess with the glutamate and you said this, was this the one? that you should go on a run? Is that why movement is so powerful for me? Yeah, so <laughs> running will actually clear out excess glutamate from the brain. And that's why it's so important for after a brain injury to run because it's actually helping because glutamate's higher from that injury. <laughs> and it's helping not only bring oxygen to help repair, but it's helping clear out that excess glutamate so you're not spinning all the time. 
either. It's called. Wow. Is it any sort of exercise or is it specific to running? So I'm all exercise. Anti runner. <laughs> anti runner. Yeah. I mean, they're all types of exercise are going to be helpful. Any kind of aerobic is going to okay. be cool. That's the best. What's so interesting about running for some reason, endurance running is it increases all these other levels of certain, like there's one we'll talk about maybe a little later called BDNF. It increases that more than any type of exercise. And BDNF is a gene that helps repair neurons, helps repair damage. Wow. And so um, that's why, but I'm sure if they started testing like biking or rowing or anything, I'm sure that's doing something very similar. That is really cool. And as far as uh, like what I've heard about, especially with what we know with any sort of exercise, but the dopamine kind of how it connects when dopamine goes wrong and connects it to the Parkinson's chain, like down, right. you know, down the chain of events. I mean, that's another reason why exercise is so huge is because I mean, I just, I just don't understand. I think the, the biomechanics of like how dopamine really does trigger things. But yeah. if somebody, so I guess what I'm asking is like with somebody with maybe dopamine issues on their genetic profile or maybe mm-hmm. prone to dopamine issues, um, like what type of exercise would you suggest? Is it just any movement? Is it uh, a specific type, aerobic, anaerobic? I don't know. I'm just very curious about that dopamine pathway and how people yeah. are locked up in it. I think because it's in the same pathway as adrenaline, dopamine, adrenaline, I think these people tend to like kind of more a high intensity yeah. um, or, or lifting, you know, things that kind of get out something a little stronger than running can. Mm-hmm. And you can have both dopamine and glutamate a little off and, mm-hmm. and need both. You know, you may need to be doing some high, high intensity, some endurance, mixing it up and kind of get balanced. But I, what I found, yeah, is the dopamine and adrenaline people tend to really like those things that are fast and hard and like kind of get it out, you know, mm-hmm. or even like, you know, mixed martial arts, things like that. It's going to be yeah. the same thing. A little, it's, a, it's their fix, you right. know? And then we kind of d- address this a little bit with um, a guest that I had. She's a chiropractor and works with some some athletes, but like how sometimes we get so stressed out that that becomes our only way of feeling good again. We're like so low in cortisol. We're so depleted and we're just kind of like pushing through. And those types of exercise become like our addiction because it, it fires us to make us feel really, really good. But then sometimes that backfires on the, on the tail end. Yeah. What, what I kind of always bring up is when you see somebody who's really burned out and they're heading for spin class every morning. Yeah. Why are they, why are they attracted to that? You know, they're so burned out already, but that's like you said, it's making you feel good for that moment, but it just kind of keeps digging you down. Man, do you have, and this is getting into more of like your own personal recommendations with just your extensive background, but for somebody, cause this is a big piece is trying to figure out where that person goes. Right. So they, yeah. they clearly need to heal. They're clearly listening in on this. Um, that is their, you know, sanity and they're checking out and their, their therapy. So what solutions do you provide or do you have any advice for them that as they're trying to like tone it back to heal? Mm -hmm. I mean, I obviously have, I I love the sauna has always been really helpful because I feel like I'm doing something, but it's not. Uh, What do you do for those kind of clients? Actually, that is one of the best things you can do because again, it comes back to that BDNF gene is the heat actually helps produce that. So it helps heal. So heat does help heal in the sauna is a great thing for not only relaxing, but helping bring more oxygen um, and really helping your body, you know, basically repair. Mm. So I think that's a great idea. Um, That's again, yoga and meditation and sauna. They're just unbelievable together. Perfect. And then with sauna, just because I'm on it, uh, have you seen some changes with uh, someone's genetic profile? Not 
changes, but like if somebody has, if they're prone to certain things, types of sauna or heat, because I know there's a lot about just regular saunas, near infrared, far infrared. Mm-hmm. Do you have any preference um, when it comes to these types of genes dealing with stress and anxiety? In terms of like uh, heat tolerance? Heat to- well, heat to- not necessarily heat tolerance, but heat therapy almost. Like okay, what, yeah. what type of heat if saunas are good? Because we hear a lot about heat shock proteins mm-hmm. and, you know, and kind of shock, that. Yeah. yeah. What kind of type of, I guess for somebody that's specific to more stress, high anxiety, uh, it doesn't matter. Is heat just going to be great no matter what? Should they find a sauna or do you have a preference on near infrared or far infrared? I think explaining saunas probably was, but I'm a terrible, I did a terrible job explaining it, but like the differences of it, um, yeah. if, if it really matters. Um, I think they're both beneficial. I mean, both of them have interesting research. Infrared's really, I think, um, amazing for detoxification as well without, you know, having to produce a lot of sweat. Hmm. Uh, if somebody's having a lot of issues with adrenals, and electrolyte imbalances, you know, heavy sauna time probably isn't going to be a good idea. And infrared is going to be a better choice. Mm, um, and there's some people who are just a little more intolerant to heat, you know? So yeah. it's like you want to, some, you know, some people may do well on five or 10 minutes, some just a few minutes, and then they yeah. start to be sick. You know, it's like you kind of have to go wherever your body is at that moment. That's a really good point about the hydration component, especially with adrenals and our kidneys. So yeah. I'm glad you said I've never even really connected those two. Yeah complete sense um so the bdnf is there anything like you know once they get their genes tested i guess before that if they haven't listened to our podcast um i just wanted to make sure people knew like 23andme at a certain point cut off and changed their testing so that was august of 2017 luckily i had had mine tested before then and then i plugged my profile into your software at nutrition genome and was able to get the same kind of results but since they changed their testing uh and what were the main ones that you were pretty bummed out about? I guess I should say that they got rid of that now you have created your own. Yeah. So they removed about 25 genes that we tested. So we were almost up to close to a hundred genes now wow. um, that we test and 25 of them. I mean, a lot of them were significant. Um, so, so to us, it was at that point where it's like, we didn't want to be in a position where maybe this could happen again and more genes could be removed. So yeah. we, we created our own DNA kit. Um, we connected with our own lab. And now we kind of have control. So now we can say, okay, for example, these circadian rhythm genes, these are new. Let's get these on our next file, you know, and we can do that. Yeah. And that's really kind of, we wanted to control our own destiny in that sense um, to be able to test what we want. I'm, and I'm so glad you did because it's, a, and it's also easier for kids. So the swab that I think that a lot of moms are going to be really happy about. <laughs> yeah. It's a cheek swab versus a vial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've had toddlers do it. We've had seniors do it without any issues. That's awesome. Um, okay. So moving to how somebody might, you know, the, whether it's circadian rhythm or their sleep tendencies, I would love to know how our genes might tie into our patterns as mm-hmm. we sleep and kind of where we're at with research on that point. Um, I, you know, I was curious, does it tie into our chronotypes? Like, am I a night person because of my genes? Am I a morning person because of my genes? Like, what do we know about genes and circadian rhythm? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a brand new field of research. So we're really just now learning. And I think what we are going to see is there are people who are, who just naturally wake up really early. And they feel great. And there's some people who don't. And some people who like to stay up late, right? And I think we're like that pretty early on. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty apparent. And you see your parents and how they are. 
Um, you know, I, I'd like to look into it a little more because I know as a little kid, I would wake up really early at like six and my parents would sleep in. And so like, they'd force me to go back to sleep <laughs> to the point where like, now it's like, I can't get up really early. So I'm yeah. like, they change my genetic expression. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm the, op- I was the opposite kid yeah. and I'm still the exact same as I was when I was a kid. I did not want to ever go get up and go to school. I was the worst <laughs> in the morning. So yeah. that is interesting. Maybe they swapped you. They yeah. Did. Maybe they changed it. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, what we're, we'll, we'll, we'll start to find out is, um, I think things like with the melatonin, uh, pathway, I think we'll learn more about that is are more people sensitive to blue light at night from their phone or from their computer, um, than other people, Yeah, uh, you know, I, for the people who have trouble falling asleep and then once they're asleep, they're okay. Or the ones that wake up throughout the night, mm-hmm. you know, are there genetic components to that? Or are those more cortisol, adrenal issues, mm-hmm. uh, hormone issues? So. Yeah, again, it's a brand new field. So I, you know, I'm not sure of, I don't have all the answers on that yet. No, that's good. But it, even just tying in with um, the pattern of at nighttime, right? So mind racing could be this lack of melatonin or it could be this kind of excess GABA, correct? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, so no, be, lack of, lack of GABA. Yeah. So glutamate is the excitatory and then GABA is the calming. Yep. And so what you'll see is low GABA, high glutamate for certain people at night and their brain will not shut off and they yeah. just spin. So, so outside of like the things that we've, you know, we talked about kind of lowering cortisol naturally when you look at it from a neurotransmitter standpoint, cause it could be a mix of both or one or the other. It's like, where would you go with, instead of having them go run and get it out of their system, mm-hmm. but some good nighttime techniques to help people. Cause we know how quality sleep changes that whole paradigm. Yeah. So deep breathing, actually meditation mm-hmm. produces a lot of GABA. Um, it actually, yeah, improves that quite a bit. Yoga will do the same. Any kind of deep breathing exercise will really bring those levels up. Um, B6 and magnesium, those two convert Mm. excess glutamate to GABA. And that's why the two work so well together for sleep. And you'll see a lot of sleep supplementation formulas with those two together. And that's That's, why. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I definitely notice a difference in magnesium and I take B vitamins, but they're totally separate complexes, right? So it's, That's really awesome. I didn't yeah. know that. Uh, for somebody that's having a, I think maybe like the really low energy in the morning, not from a cortisol standpoint, but from a genetic standpoint, is there any tips that you do like looking at like how do we get their energy to come up quicker, I guess? Yeah. Is, like, What are some tips that you like for those types of people? Those type of people, they do really well with a very structured routine of meals and electrolytes throughout the day. Um, so that morning time, like, could you kind of really hit your target each morning with, uh, a sufficient protein and fiber to really kind of get yourself going, um, versus say like coffee and a banana, which a lot of these people yeah. do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your favorite go-tos for protein and fiber? Do you have like a good combo? Yeah. Um, and, and a vegetable omelet is like one of the best things you can make, I think in the morning. Um, yeah. and maybe some berries and some nuts and mm-hmm. you're out the door. That's yeah, so that's I go to. I'm really a big fan of smoked salmon. Actually, like I am too. I just went to yeah. Oh, I just went to Alaska and I got very spoiled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can do it every morning too. Oh, just, same. That, that combination. Um, I think those are two of the best ones. That's perfect. Okay, so routine, and then I tying that into your thoughts on coffee. Coffee. So I think coffee again is it's individual because you'll see all this research saying, oh, it's great. Oh no, it's horrible. You know, and it's been going on for years. 
people can't really make up their mind whether or not it's healthy or not. And I think it really depends on um, one, there are actually genes not only associated with caffeine metabolism, but it may not even be that as much as it is the dopamine adrenaline pathway ah. because uh, caffeine is high in something called catechols. So you'd also find those in red wine. Uh, and for certain people, they're more sensitive to, to those catechols because they slow down the COMT gene and increase dopamine and adrenaline. So when you see someone who has a cup of coffee and they're kind of like kind of shaky or they're a little anxious, yeah, that's because that dopamine and adrenaline got spiked and it's taking longer to break down. That's a genetic change. That's a genetic difference that people have. And so like, for example, my wife can drink caffeine and everything else and be pretty much fine. I have a cup and I'm like all over the place. Like I can't, I can't sit still, I can't handle it. I get so um, jealous of you because I used to work at Starbucks and I would be like, I can have six shots of espresso and I'm totally normal. And everyone's yeah. like, I can't do it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't, I knew that caffeine was metabolized different person to person, but yeah. I had no idea that it was because of, it was triggering this kind of similar to adrenaline pathway. It slows it down. Yeah. And so you'll see people like when they have, uh, you know, coffee in the morning or red wine at night and they're like, I can't sleep. I don't really feel great, but they keep that consistent routine going. Well, it's their dopamine and adrenaline staying elevated. Right. And wow. so they can never really relax. And you think, okay, red wine is going to relax me, but not if you're already kind of in this heightened state. That makes so much sense. And I was talking about this and the talk that I do about adrenals is like, you cannot know your energy unless you cut coffee. And this is a whole different hit spin on that it's not yeah. just the caffeine it's the constant Cat state. yeah yeah wow that is really really cool can you talk a little bit just this is so off topic but i am very fascinated i tried to do as much digging around on the comt gene tied into bipolar mm -hmm. tied into these big swings um i couldn't find a ton about it but i that was something i really wanted to talk to you about was can comt be tied to that kind of not manic depression, but that bipolar moodiness, or is it yeah. that glutamate? I, I tend to think it, it can be both. And we tend to focus more on dopamine with bipolar. But if you look at glutamate, um, it causes mood mania and it, when it's really high and it causes severe depression when it's really low. And when bipolar patients are prescribed lithium and it's very effective, lithium modulates glutamate. It's not modulating dopamine, it's modulating glutamate levels. Wow. And so uh, I think that when you're starting to see, because really that manic state where you're kind of adrenaline charged is very different from that manic state where it's kind of all in your mind and you're just going, right? Yeah. So I think that uh, when, when you're looking at bipolar, when you're looking at genes, like COMT, I don't think you can just say, okay, variants in COMT, you're more susceptible to bipolar. I think it's much more complicated than that. I think there are a lot of genes in the pathways of, of glutamate and dopamine that are kind of leading to these manic states or these really depressive states. And then I guess the biggest kind of like plan of action, just this is just, you know, very vague advice, but movement for both of them, mm -hmm. um, a ton of vegetables to kind yeah. of die. What are some other tricks that would help with that? Um, so magnesium and vitamin C are two things that need to be in the right amounts for that person because that modulates dopamine and adrenaline. And then for glutamate, lithium, uh, magnesium, and B6 would, again, be really important for helping keeping those in the center so they're not going too high or too low. I love that. And then vitamin C, do you have a favorite form outside of just natural foods, like even broccoli, broccoli sprouts, or Brussels sprouts and broccoli? And yeah, it's, 
Vitamin C is a really interesting one today because we're not eating a lot of our food fresh from the vine, which is when it's highest, right? As soon as it's picked, it starts to degrade. Mm. And so um, that is one that I think, especially because we're uh, exposed to so much pollution now, and the more pollution and stress we're exposed to, the more vitamin C we require. Yeah. There's really heights of vitamin C, I think, at this time. So I think uh, um, there are whole food forms and capsules um, that have been tested to be, to be stable. Those are good. Um, and then you'd want, if you're getting like a supplemental vitamin C, uh, 100% um, L-ascorbic acid or L-ascorbates. Um, typically buffered tends to be one of the best forms. Um, but yeah, look for cheap forms. Like you don't want, I don't want to name any brands, but there's certain forms that have been tested that end up being a lot of sugar in it, or they're not what they say they are. So you want to be careful. That's so frustrating. What are your thoughts on liposomal vitamin C? Uh, liposomal, this seems to be a good form in a, for a lot of different things. Um, in terms of vitamin C, I don't know if it's any more superior necessarily. Good. Yeah. Okay. Cause it's way more expensive. So yeah. I feel like that might be a, well, I don't, you, I don't use it. Yeah. So. Okay. If you have a recommendation of vitamin C that you like, please let us know. Um, and that was, I'll just link it below in sure. our, in our notes. That would be awesome. Yeah, you got it. Um, because I do, that's a, it's, it makes sense why it's in a lot of adrenal supplements, right? So like kind of the adrenal glandulars usually are packed with vitamin C. Yeah. Your adrenals are actually one of the highest users of vitamin C. Yeah. So, so that's when you're, lot. you're burning through it quite quickly. Yeah. I, this is random, but nobody has been able to talk to me about this. And I just always think of it, but like the copper and zinc connection, mm-hmm. um, since copper and adrenals are connected really well, uh, do you think that makes our demand of zinc higher? Yeah. So, uh, copper is, it's kind of fascinating because it gets out of whack with adrenals, right? And we, I see, I've seen a lot of women with high copper levels due to estrogen dominance used to, uh, because of using a copper IUD. Um, a vegetarian diet will actually push those, those levels out of whack. Wow. Um, low zinc, high copper, because a lot of vegetarian foods, plant foods are higher in copper. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I think it does increase the need for, for zinc. I think it also increases the need for vitamin C because vitamin C helps actually um, get rid of excess copper. Mm. Um, and copper, believe it or not, is a cofactor for that COMT gene. So when that gets really high, it disrupts the adrenal and dopamine state. So you see the connections. This is so cool because can I, this might be so off the wall that I'm going to say it anyway, but I used to do really terrible boxed hair dye for five to eight years and they had, I finally tested it, had copper in it. And then I oh, found wow. out I was copper toxic because I was, I could not. Oh, wow. And I, yeah. and it was like right before I went into severe adrenal dysfunction and like zinc and vitamin C were huge for me. So that's really cool. Oh, that's yeah, cool. it will. Copper will actually disrupt the histamine pathway. So it can cause histamine issues. Yes. It'll disrupt the glutamate pathway. I, uh, had, I had this crazy heart rate issue. Like my heart rate was like, I would sit down, stand up, and it would go up like, I don't know, 20 beats per minute. It was insane. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's a big deal now. Yeah. Mm, that's good to know, especially with the like fresh fruit picking supplement probably is, it's, it sucks because, you know, supplements are overwhelming, but at the same time, we need them. There's um, certain ones, yeah, that I, I'm the same food first. That's my whole philosophy. And then it's certain things like vitamin C and magnesium. If they're not high enough in our food, it's just, you know, it's just a reality. And that is something, guys, for everyone listening, why I appreciate Nutrition Genome so much is that your report is food-based. It's food, lifestyle-based, and then supplements, where I think so many times people get that twisted, right? It's like, right. 
how, what supplements can we take? And it's just a long list of overwhelming things and it, it's just too much, right? So it, I really yeah. appreciate that that's your, your prime focus. So Yeah, it's more about filling in the gaps, you know, but getting everything you can from food. I love that. And then the last piece I really wanted to talk to you about is um, SAD, the seasonal affective disorder. Um, mm-hmm. Really that, you know, some people are really sensitive to, I, like I said, I was just in Alaska and I was like, how do you guys do this? This is crazy. You know, how do you, when the sun goes down, I am so susceptible to like just feeling so dark. And I also have some D, vitamin D uh, gene things that say mm-hmm. that I am more susceptible to needing more vitamin D, I think it is. Yeah. I would love if you could address how that's all connected because it does tie into our, our lifestyle piece of the adrenals. Like if we're healing, mm-hmm. we have to feel happiness and joy and exc- right. excitement about our life. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, this is a great example of understanding our migratory routes of our ancestors, you know, in terms of how, what kind of environments were they in? Because everything in terms of our genes is this accumulation of everyone who came before us. And so all these little things about us that are different came from the environment and our diet over thousands of years. And I think seasonal effect disorder, as we call it a disorder, but I really think it's just the environment that we've been used to. And if we get in something that we're not, we're more affected by it. And so with the sun, I think it, in terms of seasonal effect disorder, we're looking at serotonin levels. Um, are we more sensitive to low serotonin? Um, and uh, especially the gene called BDNF, um, which, you know, we've been talking about is that I, that's the gene I've seen when you have variants in that gene, you're much more susceptible to those changes. And the reason is, is that BDNF helps modulate glutamate levels. And you'll see more depressive episodes in the winter and more manic episodes in the spring um, of people. And so you see there's, it's following a seasonal balance. Yeah. And most people will know that about themselves. They'll know that it's like, when it gets darker, I do not feel like myself, right? I, I just, I don't feel happy. I, you know, I really get affected by it. And so <clears throat> there's a lot of genes you can look at in terms of, okay, our, what do I do about this? Like, are you, and a lot of it is you need to be in an environment that produces more serotonin for yourself um, or more BDNF. And so that's where it kind of comes to uh, vitamin D. So looking at your vitamin D genes, your omega-3 genes, because omega-3 plays a huge role in serotonin modulation. So in a lot of colder climates like Alaska, how much fish do they eat? We ate fish every <laughs> day. That makes so much sense. Yeah. It- so that oh, nature is so cool. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a good point. I didn't under, I didn't know the connection between omega three and serotonin. Yeah, so you really need to increase. So if you have that higher need for omega three based on where you come from, and you're in a in a colder climate, and all of a sudden you're not eating as much fish, you're going to be much more affected by that. Yeah, or the, even the quality of fish, right? So like you're getting exactly. the freshest of the wildest, and then you yeah, you, then all of a sudden you're getting who knows what you're getting, right? Yeah. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. And talk to me. I know we've talked about this before with a couple other guests, but just that connection of vitamin D and serotonin in case they're mm-hmm. just jumping in on this talk. Yeah. Uh, that how that all operates and how that works. Sure. So um, the first thing would be that when the light hits the eye, sunlight hits the eye, that actually produces serotonin. <clears throat> so when you're not getting enough sunlight in general, actually, so the sunlight hitting your skin produces vitamin D, hitting your eye produces serotonin. And then vitamin D actually helps modulate and regulate those levels. So the two go together. Um, and after that point, it's really about things, other things that become really important for, for boosting serotonin. Uh, exercise, right, is a huge one. 
um, massage actually is one that helps increase serotonin levels. I didn't know that. Uh, chocolate is another one, right? Who starts eating more chocolate when it gets darker? Well, <laughs> you start kind of gravitating towards things that help produce serotonin levels. I love that. Uh, yeah. And then as far as like if somebody did have issues with maybe the vitamin D, I mean, do you, are you, do you think everyone should be on vitamin D for the most part? Or is, is that a based on where you are located? Based on where you're located, based on the individual, um, you know, typically if you are in a, a fairly sunny climate and you're testing your vitamin D levels, you may not need vitamin D. Um, if you're in much colder climate, darker, you know, um, it gets darker earlier and you're someone who's more prone, then yeah, vitamin D is probably going to be really important to supplement with during the winter time, especially. Cool. And you can see that in the gene profile, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can see like if you have lower circulating vitamin D levels, if there are um, higher needs for certain minerals for the vitamin D receptors, you can see all that. Um, and you'll kind of know that about yourself. You know, that's something like what the nutrition genome report, the feedback I've received for a lot of people is they're like, this is what I've intuitively kind of seen about myself, but I didn't really know why or why I felt this way or how I react, but it just confirms all of these things which puts you in the, the driver's seat you know, of your own health. Now you get it. Mm, that's awesome. And then for the BDNF gene, uh, like what is it? What's the SNP, I guess, the s yeah. that people might be looking for on their profile? And then what are some ways if they were like, because we just kept mentioning that. So I want to kind of yeah. get lifestyle tips for those, uh, you know, kind of the highs and the lows, and especially with the traumatic brain injury, people with concussions. What yes. the, what's the next step from that? Sure. So, so BDNF stands for brain-derived neurotropic factor, and it essentially is uh, responsible for the development, maintenance, survival of your neurons. It also is uh, connected to memory and, and adaptability. And so low levels of BDNF, which people who have variants in this gene typically have lower levels, um, that's connected to you know, things like more depression or more memory issues, um, more sensitive to head injuries if it's been you know, chronically low. Um, we've also seen things like in the research bipolar and suicide behavior. Mm. Um, so it's most affected by chronic stress that will lower BDNF, high blood sugar will do it as well. Um, and head injuries, you know, all of those really affect BDNF. But the thing is, is that you can really improve it. And one of the best ways to improve it is, is increasing your VO2 max. Oh. Um, that does it, especially in the heat, um, running again, running in the heat. Um, but, uh, the other thing is lithium actually um, helps improve it because it helps improve glutamate levels. Um, certain uh, intermittent fasting is another one that can help. Again, omega-3s are another one that can help. So you see this omega-3, vitamin D, how strong that's connected to all these different pathways involved with how you feel in the seasons. Yeah, and how your brain is just handling inflammation ultimately exactly. and is it probably with the high blood sugar it's triggering that inflammatory pathway so it's exactly. triggering the BDN. that's really really cool yeah. uh, and last question because i just don't know the answer to this and i usually know these things what foods have lithium in them so lithium is going to be found in mineral waters highest in mineral waters oh. um and um there's actually a, a sea mineral electrolyte product um called daylight that has, a, has one milligram of lithium that's actually really good but it used to be a lot higher in our water you know kind of like magnesium mm. um, and depending on the geographical location some places have higher lithium than others there are places in oregon um, and texas that have higher lithium levels and what's so fascinating is around the world they did research on places that had the highest lithium in their water 
they had the lowest violence uh, in those areas. So it's like it was a strong correlation between lithium and mood, right? Yeah, and like serious moods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, right. wow, that's awesome. They just need to like put it into, yeah. They just need to put it in the water again. <laughs> put it in the water, take the fluorine out and put the lithium right. in. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Did, did you say sea minerals? Is that why certain, like, um, I've noticed, I always like go by cravings, but the people that have, uh, the tendency to kind of have those big moods and also have a lot of brain trauma mm-hmm. crave like seaweed and vegetable and sushi. Is, is any of that full of lithium at all? Or is that more the iodine kind of component? Um, it's, it's probably a, a combination of minerals. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably yeah. a lot of them all together. Yeah. yeah. Cause they always come together. This is awesome. This is just better than better than our first podcast and I just could talk to you all day. So thank you again, Alex, um, where, you know, nutritiongenome.com. Will you just kind of tell people how the process works? Sure. Yeah. So you just go to nutritiongenome.com. You can order your DNA kit there, um, ship it to you. You send your sample back to our lab. It takes about five weeks to get your results back and it gets uploaded to your dashboard. And from there, we know if you want to go deeper, we have a list of practitioners we recommend. You can see we're always uh, growing that list. And yeah, we have a blog as well that I write. And so you can get on that list as well. Awesome. And I found you through Sarah Morgan. So shout out to Sarah Morgan. Uh, She's the buddies in my belly. So yeah, she's great. She's wonderful. So again, thank you for taking the time and being on this. This is going to be really good. I think everyone should do this testing because it was just so cool to feel a little bit more normal about the crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Alex. Uh, Thank you.